It is a beautiful day to be alive, and I am so glad we have this time together. I'm Sanaa Laybourne. I am a professor, scholar, connector, and avid reader. I've always loved learning about what's happening in our social world and sharing that knowledge, especially over a good cup of coffee. And so here we are. Each week on Let's Grab Coffee, I catch up with experts from across the country who are investigating our most pressing social issues and common curiosities. Over the next hour, you'll learn about their inspirations, motivations, and of course, what they know about the world around us. Go ahead and grab that cup of coffee and get ready for an engaging and insightful conversation. Coffee is a $450 billion global industry that originated in Ethiopia, yet some statistics show that less than 1% of revenue goes towards African countries. Here in the United States, coffee is commonly associated with Starbucks, those sugary blended beverages, or perhaps a daily pick-me-up taken on the go or even enjoyed in a fancy specialty coffee shop, often located in a gentrified neighborhood. However, coffee has a deeply Black and deeply communal history. What would it mean to understand coffee's Black history and its Black future? Coffee Black is on a mission to find out. Today, I'm joined by Bartholomew Jones, a Memphis-born entrepreneur who, in late 2018, co-founded Coffee Black, a Black social enterprise, alongside his wife, Renata Henderson, Memphis's first Black female coffee roaster. Welcome, Bart. I am so excited to have you here with us today. Yeah, what it do, family? How y'all living? Hey, I am feeling so good. I am so glad that we are having this opportunity to chat about one of my favorite things, coffee, but also about community. And I just have to start straight out the gate. Um, tell me about your coffee today. Uh, so today I'm sipping on a Fuji, which is a, a region in Rwanda. It's from a roaster called Rabbit Hole Roasters out of Canada that we're collaborating with. Mm. Uh, to raise money for the Black Barista Exchange Program. Uh, it's giving me like pie crust and blackberries and maybe like some sweet grapes. It's really vibey. Uh, yeah, that's what I've been sipping on today. I love it. I love it. And how much coffee have you had today? I think that's another mm-hmm. important question. I brewed a 15 gram brew earlier and an 18 gram brew, which roughly is about 600 grams of coffee so i don't know how that calculates i, I do my coffee in grams you know way <laughs> detail, so i don't know how that maybe two cups three cups i don't know okay. i don't really do cups you know what i mean we gotta we gotta hit it with the metrics all right metrics um all right you mentioned the black barista coffee exchange tell us yes. a little bit about that uh so the black barista exchange program is uh the first of its kind program to try to unite people of African descent uh, through coffee. And so we're taking a cohort of four African-American baristas to Ethiopia, Rwanda, and uh, possibly Kenya to learn about pre-colonial coffee culture there. And then we're raising funds to bring another cohort of four African baristas back over here to the States to see the other side of the supply chain and to imagine the future of coffee for African descended people together. Mm, I love that. I love that idea of imagining the future of coffee for folks uh, throughout the African diaspora. But before we get to the future, I want to start with the origins. Mm -hmm. Because I'm going to guess that a lot of people haven't given too much thought to that cup of coffee that they might have every day and its rich history. So I'm wondering if you could kind of educate us a little bit on coffee's origins. Yeah, for sure. I think coffee is one of those things where a lot of people uh, don't really think about where it comes from. Um, I think that's kind of a byproduct of capitalism in a lot of ways that we don't think about the origin of the things we consume. We just consume them. Um, then MLK actually has a quote that says, we do not finish breakfast without being dependent on more than half the world. At the table, we drink coffee that is provided for us by a South American or tea by someone from China or cocoa from somebody from West Africa. Before we leave our jobs, we're beholden to more than half the world. Mm. Uh, that quote has always stuck with me, especially as a Memphian. You grow up going to the Lorraine Hotel Motel and going to the Civil Rights Museum. I don't know if people notice, but there's actually like a coffee shop sign on the side of the motel. And my imagination would always run 
Um, once I learned about the African origins of coffee, it's like if MLK was able to know that, like how that quote might have changed and how he might have connected the coffee he was drinking at that hotel to the legacy of slavery he was trying to affect in Memphis. And, you know, the connection was never made. But in a lot of ways, the idea, the hope, the dream, if you will, of that was the origin of Coffee Black. Like, what if we were aware of these connections? What if we had a chance to really inspire and put our efforts into creating a connection here and creating opportunities from that connection? And that's where the Genesis Coffee was discovered, you know, uh, in 850 BC, Cafe Arabica, to be specific, it really should be called Cafe Ethiopica, but mm. we, we can talk about that later. Um, but yeah, that species of coffee, there are 130 different species that we've discovered at this point. Um, all of them are indigenous to Africa, but that species is probably the most popular species in the world. It's what mm -hmm. most people consume. We've probably seen 100% Arabica on like hotel coffee bags. Mm -hmm. That's just letting you know. Uh, that is connected to that first documented species that was discovered in Ethiopia. And uh, there's a be there's so many beautiful rich traditions all over the country and in Sudan as well. Um, but for us, man, the most people's connection to coffee is not from that indigenous Black African perspective. It comes from coffee by way of the colonizers who capitalized on it, right? And so mm -hmm. that puts us fast forward to 1616 in the port of Mocha in the country of Yemen. Uh, with the Dutch, who are trying to be build their East uh, Indian Trading Co, and they're looking to add coffee to the cadre of other uh, cash crops that they're exploiting, and um, that you see even in uh, a lot of our language represents that, right? Like if you've heard coffee talked about as Java, right? Mm -hmm. That's because uh, the Dutch people colonized the melanated people of Indonesia, specifically the island of Java. And that was where their coffee plantations were located, right? Mm -hmm. um, and even the language, right, plantations. Most of us don't associate coffee as a crop that's grown on plantations, but it's heavily tied to slavery at its colonial root. And so that becomes really profitable for the Dutch. The Dutch share it with the rest of the colonizing cartel, as I like to call them. Mm. And you get the Spanish and the Portuguese and the English and the French and everybody else in on it. And as they divide up the world and, you know, scramble for Africa and invade the and raid the Caribbean and Central and South America, coffee becomes one of those cash crops, one of those very profitable cash crops uh, that is added alongside of sugarcane and, you know, tobacco and cotton, some of the more familiar ones. Uh, and a big driver of that uh, particular crop of coffee was the African slaves that they stole to grow it. And we know historically, this has been brought out in, in documentaries like High on the Hog and things like that, but the, I, we're, we're dispelling the myth now that slaves were unskilled labor, right? Like these right. slaves were being taken specifically for their agricultural knowledge, right? And their ability to be able to bear that type of labor in their bodies uh, accurately enough to produce a crop that was, you know, viable in the market. And so uh, I, my, my suspicion is that coffee was not much different. Right. Like that, knowing that coffee has its origins in the African continent, that there was a desire there to bring African descendants to grow this crop because there's some type of ancestral knowledge. I don't have documented evidence of that, but um, there is at least clear evidence that these slaves, as far as rice and other things were concerned, were being taken for their knowledge to grow these crops. And I wouldn't imagine that coffee would be much different. But we do see like in Haiti, for instance, uh, in Brazil, for instance, in Jamaica, for instance, where black slaves become um, the primary workforce for these coffee plantations. And Brazil in particular is pretty much singularly responsible for coffee's current role in the marketplace as this ever-present, very cheap, uh, very available uh, drug or stimulant. And the, the labor of these slaves is what made coffee become so affordable and what made it become attached to what we consider now to be like a cheap, drink or cheap beverage and that's because the labor of the people who were growing it was not considered in the cost at its export or import and so um right now that's a big part of the problem where we are now but that history is present and we even see it today with gentrification where you can't get away from uh this legacy of anti-blackness built into the world's most popular black beverage mm. wow Okay, there was so much there that we have to dig into. Yeah. I mean, 
Well, when we think about, you know, I, I love how you ended just, you know, what you shared so far, thinking about the anti-Blackness that is embedded in this figurative and literal Black beverage that many of us start our day with, end our day with, and yet to be completely ignorant of that history. And I would say that is by design, right? That we don't know the histories of coffee, of its origins, and even how it came to be so popular and mass distributed around the globe. And Mm -hmm. to your point, you know, what changes when we think about these histories, right? How does that change how we think about coffee? How does that change um, how we consume coffee? And then how does that change what we think about our future um, in this beverage? And especially thinking about a lot of the ways that climate change is also potentially impacting coffee production as well. Well, um, and so I think these are a lot of questions that really come to light for me. Um, And also, you know, something you mentioned about this word Java, you know, I'm thinking a lot about language these days and how sometimes we are perpetuating um, histories of exploitation through the words that we use because we don't understand their origins. And so even hearing you talk about Java, for me, I'm like, wow, like being just more conscious of that and thinking about what Mm -hmm. does that mean to be actively, you know, perpetuating a system that has exploited Black people. It's serious. And I think that it's so subliminal and sinister Mm -hmm. that oftentimes you know, we end up, as you said, participating in these histories without our knowledge of it. And I think that, you know, for those of you who are listening and kind of reconsidering why I didn't think my morning cup of coffee had all these things, I don't think we're responsible for the histories that we're born into. I think we're responsible for what we do about it. And so Mm -hmm. once we become aware, now the question is, what's next? You know, and I think that's what we focus on here is like, that's why the piece about Afrofuturism, what's the future, what, what happens? Because if you simply, if, if all we're doing is mourning about these histories, I think we end up with a sense of, you know, enemy, you know, to, to use a sociological term or like hopelessness. I, I think about when my wife's uncle passed away and, um, it, you know, just in the creator's timing, it happened within the same week that my youngest son was born and how like there's these cycles of life and cycles mm-hmm. of death. And I think if we kind of remove ourselves from participating in these things, it oftentimes leaves us losing a bit of what makes us human. And I think within the social justice space, there is an almost hyperfixation on uh, identifying injustice without imagining justice. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. it, it, and it, it can lead to burnout in a lot of ways. And so for us, I think while it's important to acknowledge the past, coffee is a seed at the end of the day and seeds are about bringing new life it's about acknowledging the history reconciling with the history but it's also about using that to to sprout roots for new life and that's i think a big lesson i learned from the indigenous people in africa uh specifically in the guji zone of ethiopia that has kind of centered and grounded our work here in memphis Mm -hmm. i love what you said that yes you know we it we should learn these histories and once we are aware of them you know then the next question becomes you know what are we going to do um i love how you put it we're not responsible for the histories we're born into but we are responsible for what we do you know moving forward with coffee black again that is your way of saying okay I know these histories, what am I going to do and how am I going to imagine a future and to really imagine, right? To not be constrained with what has been or what is current, but actually to imagine the future that you would like to see. Um, And I know part of that really for you was also um, taking this trip to Africa Mm -hmm. um, to to really connect with other producers, other uh, coffee farmers, um, but also to go back to a homeland in, in in a way. And I'm wondering if you could share with us a little bit about your journey. Yeah, for sure. We honestly, again, kind of being grounded in community, grounded in these like uh, indigenous traditions that I think our community still holds, there's just um, this tradition of incarnation that I think is really important and like communal collective responsibility that's always been put into me as a kid. Like you are not just responsible for yourself. You're a product of all the people who came before you and who are here with you and the perceptions and the realities of those people are in many ways like 
uh, incumbent upon you to react to and respond to and be in dialogue with. And so when we started the company, probably the height of the pandemic, uh, we kind of pushed back on a lot of people telling us to start a coffee shop. And I'm, I'm a land the plane, but I kind of have to start before my dad's a preacher. I can't help it. So like, um, <laughs> like yeah, I think you, we start in this space where we don't vehemently don't want to have a coffee shop. Uh, we're in the community. My wife and I at this point have been three, four years moved into uh, a neighborhood here in Mitchell Heights where we're like, okay, we're mentoring. We're, you know, background on addressing uh, black flight in communities. Like, man, what does it mean to avoid the brain, the brain my kids are on the uh, <laughs> to avoid the brain drain that happens in black communities after uh, segregation. And so we're here, we're working, we're mentoring, we're going to church in the community. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm talking to my neighbors. They don't have jobs. I'm talking to the community development organization in the neighborhood, which is the Heights CDC. They're trying to address blight. They got this building they used to burn down. And they're just, you know, the, the CEO, Jared, is constantly hitting me like, yo, man, y'all got to start a coffee shop. I'm going on this long diatribe about how coffee shops gentrify neighborhoods. It's <laughs> one of the like, four horsemen of the gentrification apocalypse alongside craft breweries and Whole Foods and small ladies walking smaller dogs. It's like, yo, we not, we don't want to do that, bro. So just to go bring a bunch of, and the, just the business model is a lot, is built on commuter traffic. Mm -hmm. And so like most coffee shops are built on people driving there and not walking there, right? And so I'm like, I'm literally throwing up the bat signal, like come in my neighborhood. And when I do that as a business owner, I'm going to be forced to prioritize the needs of my customers. And if my customers are people who don't live here, then I'm, I'm decentering uh, my community's needs uh, just as an effect, as a side effect of that. And so I was like, how, I don't want to do that. Mm -hmm. We get to a point where they're like, look, I don't care. We'll do flexible rent. Like you can give coffee away for free. We have this space. We want to see it being used in the community. So we're like, well, it's not a coffee shop. It's a, it's like an anti-gentrification coffee club. This is it's a coffee <laughs> club. We just kicking it. You know what I mean? And uh, that became like uh, the headquarters for a lot of what we've done. And it was the genesis of the trip to Africa. So I took a month and just uh, worked there, right? I was like, I want to be here. Yeah, we're going to hire baristas. I will train my neighbors to be baristas, but I want to take a month. I'm getting off social media. And I'm just going to be here. I'm be present. I'm be physical. I'm be incarnated. And um, I would tell this story all the time, similar to the way I've told it to you. And my neighbors would consistently ask me, like, oh, that's, that's amazing. Like, how do they feel about us drinking their coffee? And I'm like, my guy, I don't, I ain't <laughs> been in. Like, I'm talking to people on the internet. We on WhatsApp. Like, I'm not over there. Like, bro, you, you got to go. And I'm like, like, yo, you don't understand how hard it is to leave the country. I'm a Black American. I've never even, like, filed for a passport before. I have no idea what this experience is. My family has been in the United States since we got here on the first boat, right? So I haven't, mm -hmm. this is all this trauma even behind like leaving and, and going over the Atlantic Ocean and kind of retracing this journey in an in opposite way. And um, they just wouldn't let me, they was like, nah, that's not gonna work, fam. Like, we gonna keep asking you. <laughs> and they kept asking me to the point where I was like, maybe I'm thinking about this wrong. Like maybe my imagination isn't mm. big enough. And I think rooted in what we do is like this idea of a cogenerative dialogue which is like an idea that I learned in my educational classes, get my master's degree about, uh, it's by this dude named Paolo Fierre who worked with indigenous uh, and campesino workers in Central and South America who are adult English language learners. And it's like like a different approach on what does it mean to, to make knowledge or to like name things, right? How do we determine what reality is? And he's arguing that in a lot of ways that should be communal and it is for people of color. And so I was like, man, if I'm going to be true to this idea here, I, I need to consider this notion. Something that to me was impossible by my community, community is telling me it is possible. Yeah. And uh, that led us to launch a GoFundMe uh, after speaking with a lot of my mentors. Uh, they were like, yeah, bro, do it. I did it. In 72 hours, we had $24,000. <laughs> it's kind of crazy. Um so and it led us to, to to launching this trip to Africa, shooting a documentary, um, building an all-black supply chain to mm -hmm. from Ethiopia, which is the only uncolonized black country in the world, to Memphis, Tennessee, which is currently based on recent statistics, the blackest city in America per capita. Um, mm -hmm. And it's just created this crazy experience, man. But it was it was something that I think was like one of those pivot moments for me where I was like, as I'm over there. 
and we can get more into the journey itself if you want to, but like I'm just I'm being so it's it's uh I'm getting emotional thinking about it just because there's so prior to going to Africa, everything I was doing in coffee at the end of the day was a hypothesis. It was like a what if. It was I I'm connecting dots that people aren't connecting. I'm making an argument that hasn't really been made in the industry and definitely not in culture as a whole. And I'm and I'm getting a lot of flag for it. You know, I'm getting a lot of support, but you know, you get a lot of gaslighting from white supremacists. You get a lot of mm-hmm. like trolls on social media, a lot of hate emails and um you know, people just being like, you're doing too much. Like it just doesn't have to be about race and it was so crazy going that going there and seeing how we were received these people like you're the first african-american we ever met where y'all been you know what i mean and i'm explaining like this is where we've been and they were like well this is where we've been and it's time to connect and it's time to build together it's time to reclaim our pride and our dignity and our Mm -hmm. products and our heritage and our traditional props like and being told this by indigenous people who like look like my aunties and uncles that were eating food that is like mm-hmm. indigenous to what I grew up eating in the in the South in America and seeing how this is connected to you know countries that are you know thousands of miles away from the country where my ancestors were taken from and and definitely thousands and thousands of miles away from my grandma's house in Alabama mm-hmm. you know and seeing like we're communing over these same foods and like how coffee is so embedded in their culture to their to spiritual beliefs to their like societal ties and, and imagining now, like what would it that we missed so much, you know? Mm-hmm. And I didn't know how I knew we were missing something, but when you realize how much you're missing and the real value and weight of it, and and the fact that those people have been waiting on you to come back for this long yeah. and to reclaim that, it just was. I mean, it was life changing for me. Yeah, I mean, even just listening to you talk, like I'm getting chills because I deeply understand this idea of of connection, you know, across time and space and also about returning to a, a homeland or what maybe is a homeland. You're not sure. Right. Like, you know, mm-hmm. and, and, and mm-hmm. that idea of you know, what's possible, you know, as I was listening to you um, share with us kind of your journey and thank you so much for that. You know, what struck me was these moments of internal resistance that you had and, and where you said like, you know, to you, some of these things were impossible or not possible in the current way we might think of a coffee shop, for example, Um, or it was not, it was outside of your, you know, realm of imagination to go back to Africa. But that community piece, that's the other piece that continues to pop up in your story is how you have your community in a lot of different shapes, form and fashion saying like, we see this for you, we support you in it, and not just in idea, but in in practice, right? And so, as you mentioned, you know, you have this GoFundMe and then within 72 hours, you know, it's funded, right? And so again, it is that tangible community support that's saying like, we got you. Like, this is not just for you. It's also for us and for this vision that you have that that we believe in and bringing this into material reality. Like you mentioned, having this all black supply chain. Right. And the importance of that to the mission of reclaiming something that has always been yours. I think yeah. about birthright a lot, you know, and coffee as a birthright for you and for Black people and for, you know, bringing that awareness to Black folks in particular, but non-Black folks as well, so that we understand these histories. But then for you to physically be able to go to Africa to make connections in Ethiopia and to feel it in a much different way than just the intellectual knowing of something. But now yeah. that embodied practice. Um, and that's what I hear a lot in, in in your story as well. Yeah. And I think it just is always a constant reminder. Even my wife, the first time she went with us was on the screening tour where we're showing uh, this documentary to African communities. I mean, it was a worldwide tour. So we went all over the United States. We went to Ethiopia. We went to Rwanda showing this documentary. And I remember in, in, in Rwanda, after seeing the documentary, you know, they're just asking questions like, what does the X mean? You know, mm-hmm. the name. And I'm talking about it's this 
this stolen heritage, this missing link, right? This missing variable that I think is something that we need to figure out, you know, what 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 is the sum of our parts, right? We're missing this part of the equation and trying to reclaim that. And um, she's explaining how we don't know as African-Americans, um, our ancestral languages, we don't know, you know, our heritage, the communities that we come from, the ethnic traditions and, you know, people were blown away because within the coffee community in Rwanda, that had not been a point of conversation um, and they connected it to their experience in the genocide, right? Mm. And like how much of what happened in the genocide was the result of missing identities or misplaced identities. I heard a pastor online called them lie identities. And uh, these, these false uh, narratives that were given about who we are and what we're supposed to be and that led to the genocide, right? Was these identities mm -hmm. given by the, the colonizers um, and how in healing for them, they were like, man, it was us sitting back and saying, let's go back and remember, right? Mm. Remember in the sense of like actually repopulating, right? Remember, like repopulating our ancestral line back to the point that exists before we were given this uh, lie identity, if you will. And for them, that was the key to then say, well, where we, if it's the great, 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 however far we got to go back to like, this is who we were before mm -hmm. we were given this false narrative. That's what we're going to then project forward as the basis for who we will become. And uh, for them, they told my wife, they were like, you, I want you to go back as far as you can. And then whenever you can't go back anymore, insert my grandfather, insert my grandmother, insert my heritage, which for this young lady who was telling my wife, literally her heritage goes back to like one of the first Rwandan kings, right? Wow. And so they, then they gave my wife a name, which means it was Uwachu, which is actually the name of uh, our first Rwandan roast we released. Uh, but it's, uh, it means our own. And so mm -hmm. they were literally claiming her. And, and um, in my faith tradition, this idea of being grafted in to a branch, right? Grafted into a, a line is so crucial for us. Uh, and so physically embodying that experience with people, I mean, everybody was crying. You know what I mean? Like everybody was like, just tears, <laughs> we starting up. Look, and, I'm about um, to cry right now. <laughs> it was, I can it, only it, imagine <laughs> being yeah, there. It was, it was crazy. And, and, that is the experience that people of African descent don't get to experience in coffee. And I think people globally, that conversation is not the conversation that's had with coffee, mm -hmm. right? About it being a cultural heritage. And we found that across cultures, um, everybody in some way can connect to this feeling of like being disconnected. And that for all of us, coffee as a seed can be a way to reconnect us to our roots and that starts by honoring and identifying the indigenous African people who discovered it. But in many ways, like as as Africa and much more specifically Ethiopia is the origin for 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 coffee, right? Like Africa is ground zero for human life, right? And I think many of our cultures have these things that are indigenous that we've lost as the world has become more globalized and as capitalism has become kind of the primary means by which we interact with each other. And coffee has the potential to restore a lot of the generational thinking that's missing globally, if we let it, you know, mm -hmm. if we're willing to acknowledge the wisdom of these uh, indigenous African people who discovered it, and also the current realities of the neo-indigenous, if you will, that's a term, Chris Emden, who's like a, a author I, I used to read a lot as an educator and still love his work, but the neo-indigenous and even in Western communities, like people of color have continued these traditions, right? We think about hip hop, as a continuation of the tradition of the griot in West Africa. Uh, and these traditions also have much to teach us about what coffee can mean uh, today. So that's what we're excited about. And that's kind of what inspires us now. Like man, these are the futures we want to start bringing into the present. Mm -hmm. I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about how you see um, your role in kind of continuing some of this cultural heritage, some of these practices um, here in Memphis specifically? You've hinted at it a little bit, but I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit more about that. Yeah, I think a, a big part of it is uh, synthesizing. Um, we're, we're synthesizing uh, traditions that we feel are, you know, analogous or symmetrical or have a certain amount of synergy. So for instance, one thing we, we kind of spent time observing and participating in the Ethiopian coffee ceremony, more specifically uh, being able to learn about, and this is one of the things I want to learn more about when we 
November with the Black Barista Exchange Program, but the Bunakala ceremony, which is indigenous to the uh, Aroma Guji people, is technically the world's first bulletproof coffee. Uh, but there is a, 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 a kind of a, a wisdom or a notion of value, of moral value within this thing uh, that has been synthesized into a blessing. And the blessing is Bunafi Nagea Hindabina, and it means may your house lack no coffee nor peace. And I can explain to my knowledge, how that blessing came about. But there's this idea that where there's coffee, there is peace, right? Mm -hmm. May your house lack no coffee nor peace. Uh, that you should, as the peace, as the coffee flows, the peace should abound. And this is a blessing that's given to every person the first time you drink coffee. And communally, it's it's almost like uh, like Occam's razor. That is a way to measure whether or not coffee is being done right, right? If there is peace, if there is mm -hmm. not peace, the coffee's not right. And I, again, going back to my faith tradition. Growing up, like when they would give communion, you couldn't take communion unless you were at peace with the people in the congregation. So like, if you're not at peace, you're supposed to leave and go out and reconcile and come back and partake, right? And so like, that is the notion here that like, if we're not at peace, by the time we finish this cup, we should be at peace. Like we should be in there. Even, um, again, these are things that I have learned about and I want to learn more about. They're like, uh, like coffee houses, literally like huts that are built to go and meet with someone where you reconcile and like squash beef, you know? And like to think about how for black people for so long, coffee has been the antithesis of peace, right? It's been associated with everything chaotic, you know, colonialism, slavery, uh, you know, hypercapital, all the things, right? Um, then what would it look like to restore that identity? So I'm like, what, what traditions or rituals exist within our community now that kind of model this very circular uh, experience, uh, this very, you know, cylindrical, spherical idea of like this kind of uh, everyone being connected in a circle of people. I was like, you know, circle of life vibes. What would it look like? So I was like, oh, growing up, we used to, you know, I'm a musician, I'm an artist, I'm an indie rapper. And like, bro, we used, the cypher was, in a lot of ways, like a similar thing where everyone comes together and we literally all get on the same rhythm, the same tempo, the same beat. We align ourselves and uh, our bodies literally to like moving in unison, in, in uniform, right? And then like we create together, right? So a cypher is different than a battle. Like when you're battling, you're, you're attacking each other. It's, it's a line, it's didactic. But when you're in a cypher, right, it's communal, communal. it's cylindrical, it's like, it's um, cumulative, right? Like we're mm -hmm. all building on the next idea, which, you know, kind of even reminds me of being in improv and like college and like you, there's a, you can't say no. You have right. to say yes and to build on it. And um, shout out to the improv troupe freshman year. But like, I, I think that we've taken that. And so we do these coffee ciphers uh, once a month, which are these kind of like coffee education classes slash brewing courses slash like, you know, collective beat making sessions slash like collective songwriting sessions, um, you know, and it's all of these things kind of blended into one. And we, our goal is to attempt to kind of like create that space together and to really build on that. And it's been a really beautiful thing to do these coffee cyphers once a month because we were, we're seeing people be able to interact with coffee uh, from a place of pure curiosity and pure embodiment. Like, I come in, I smell the coffee, I see the coffee, I'm able to just be curious, but also there's a person there who's knowledgeable enough to kind of like build with you on the knowledge instead of kind of levying. It's almost like there's this big pile of information that people push it at you and like, hey, do you know this? If you don't know this, you can't participate. You better get this if you want to do it right. But it's more so like you, it's a, it's a potluck. You bring me what you have, it's stone soup. I'm going to add what I have and I know how to get us to the point where there's some knowledge and the cypher is the same thing. Like we're producing this experience together. Um, and you have to have a person who's responsible, right. To say like, I'm going to be the one kind of curating, but like you can't get to that end result much like I wouldn't have ever made it to Africa if it's not for the community's contributions. And I think that's something, one small example of how we tried to kind of like stack these rituals on top of each other to be able to produce a communal effect uh, within our people. And so it's led to, people feeling like coffee is for them that never felt like coffee was for them. And that's because for the most part, coffee never talked to them. It, it mm -hmm. never even talked about them. It pretended like they were invisible. Yeah. Right. And so I think that much like at the origin of coffee's industry, right. We see the invisible labor 
of African slaves being, uh, their labor being made invisible, now we're making it visible, right? And what happens when you do that? Not only making it visible, but making like a viable option, right? A viable priority. It becomes almost like emblematic. It becomes a bat signal of sense. Like, man, but this becomes like something that's inspiring us to think about coffee in a whole other different way. And I know I'm kind of speaking very uh, symbolically here, but this is my best job to try to explain what happens at the coffee cipher. Because <laughs> um, we do be rapping and then we do be making coffee, but it's a deeper experience. And the, the thing, the experience is greater than the sum of its parts, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah. that's community, right? Like that yeah. is having this communal experience. Um, you know, I, I appreciate you saying, you know, making the invisible visible again, yeah. like bringing to light, um, you know, coffee at its origins and its histories, uh, but also what coffee is today. Right. Because as yeah. you mentioned in the beginning of our conversation, you know, we just enjoy, you know, coffee or, or whatever other product or commodity yeah. and all of the labor behind it is invisible, right? Yeah. And and for a, a particular reason, um, I love this idea of taking coffee, removing it from its current kind of um, what it's thought of is really like a tool for capitalism, right? A tool for our productivity and right. returning it back to its origins um, as a, a communal experience, but also yeah. a, a healing experience. Um, and so I love that idea of coffee as the mediator between our mm -hmm. relationships and between um, making a strong foundation for our future. And that's what I heard you know, in you saying like you have these coffee huts where people come and they 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 hash it out, they talk about it, right? We're, we're gonna yeah. get to the bottom of this. We're gonna have some coffee, and now coffee is that symbol of peace and harmony. Yeah, and it's it's so interesting because like as you're talking, it's making me think even more about some of these things that we just they're just wrote at this point for us. But I do think it's important to bring this out. Like they're the presumptions, right? What are the presuppositions we bring into a coffee space? the expectation that we will talk to each other is not one that is present in the West. It's mm -hmm. the expectation, honestly, is give me my, my very large drink that I need for my day and then no one should talk to me again to the point where it's like, it's almost like a sin in, in the coffee space to be loud, right? Like if I'm, I'm, we from Memphis, you know what I mean? So when we pull up to these screenings or experiences or coffee conferences and we're coffee crawling, which is a whole thing, we pull up and, you know, us and our interns and the team and the producers we work with, and we coming in, we having a great time. We probably checking somebody. We pull up, ah, ha, ha, ha. And then everybody turns, you know what I mean? And it's like, yeah, what, what you broke the cardinal rule of the shop. You can't have joy here. You know what I mean? You can't talk to each other here. And so we, a big part of what we're doing, what would it look like to build a space where the, that those presuppositions were built into the space? Like the, the indigenous presuppositions are built back in. So I nobody has to tell you this is a space where you can talk. This is a space where you can loiter. Like, yes, loiter, <laughs> right? Like we nobody has to tell you just do it, right? And that's programmed into the design of the space. Um, but a big part of it was like, again, pulling from these spaces and traditions that we know already kind of signify these kinds of presuppositions and then placing coffee inside of those uh spaces and shapes, right? Mm -hmm. So like our coffee shop, we initially were very clear, like, this is not going to be a shop where the bar is front and center and there are a lot of small tables with seats. And, like, that's not, we're going to build this out to feel like a community. I really, with the design goal was my grandma, well, it was my auntie's living room, mm -hmm. right? And, like, it's the woke auntie who probably be a little crazy at night, but you don't know about that. When she going <laughs> to take care of you when you get there, you know what I mean? And, like, she's, a, you know, there's the incense, she got the, she got the, this, this is like this emblematic picture of like two black people, a couple in an embrace from the 90s that was in every auntie's home. <laughs> it's like, you know, that's the energy we wanted to have. And then contrast that with this really high-end coffee gear, but place that behind the first, like it's not the first thing you notice. And when you go to the coffee shop, the first thing you notice is this large Italian, you know, steaming behemoth in front of you, making all this noise. And it's kind of like, I, for a long time, we didn't even have espresso because I was like, that's the colonizer's machine. And I've, again, the community has helped me to compromise. I was being an ideologue. But like, <laughs> I, I, I'm like, man, 
the first thing I want you to feel is like, this, take a seat, pull up, man. This for you. I want it to feel like the barbershop. Like you pull up and this space for us to chop and talk. Like you just put up in the church or like you put up to the cookout. And we've had people be like, I don't know what it is about this space, but I feel like it's home. And we've also had people who discounted the quality of the coffee because we chose not to engage or participate in the traditional uh, markers of quality that exist from a design perspective in most shops, which is like the minimalism, right? And you have the Edison lights and it's very like Swedish. And I'm not even mad at the Swedes, right? Shout out to the Norwegian. You know what I mean? They introduced us to light roast and light roast are dope. One of my OG's propaganda always reminds me of that. So I'm not, not hating on that, but I'm saying like this, that works for that culture. And many people have benefited from the beauty of that culture. But what about ours? Like nobody has had a chance to like really see what coffee looks like for black people. One, black people haven't seen it, but then two, all the people who would benefit from it right, haven't had a chance to experience that either. And if we look at hip hop, just as an example, the world benefits a lot from black creativity when it is allowed to flourish. And mm -hmm. I think that that's just a truth about humanity. We all are unique seeds and we have a fruit that the world needs to see born out because they benefit from the nutrients within that fruit, right? And I think there's a, the, the, the diversity we get into the, the ecosystem, right, the environment, but like there are unique things that can't be replicated everywhere right and every unique biome kind of has a unique product to offer to humanity i think our, our collective palettes are poorer because we haven't allowed for uh the visibility the viable visibility of blackness within coffee to really come to the forefront and to grow to maturity and i think we're creating spaces where that can be seen on a micro level and the, the coffee club is one of those spaces where it's like bro it's a yes you can be loud yes you can laugh yes you can check somebody Yes, you can be joyful. Yes, your kids can come. Yes, you can be here and like, you know what I mean? Be curious and, and put cream and sugar if you want and nobody bugging. But I am going to ask you to like, hey, try it. Let me know what you think. You know what I mean? Like there's just, it's a diff different set of presuppositions and we're trying to make those cultural values uh, present again in coffee. Mm -hmm. I love that focus that on um, on context, right, on the immediate, like actual physical context of space and place. So one, you know, being in the United States, being in Memphis, our particular city, right? Um, mm -hmm. And then also the physical space of the coffee club, right? And I was, as yeah. you were talking, I was just imagining um, the coffee club, right? And how the use of space, like, we can conform to that space, right? So you have right. a certain type of seating arrangement, you have certain amenities or you don't have certain amenities, right? In order to shape how people interact with this space. And so yep. that in and of itself is teaching people how to interact in the space and putting people into a specific posture. Like you mentioned how folks were saying, there's just something about this. It reminds me a little bit of home or like family yep. or, you know, a comfortable space, right? Yep. And then we can think about comfortable for whom, for what purpose, right? Yeah, and so that's what I was thinking about, like how that space, you know, even for me, like I'm visualizing as I've walked into the coffee club and it is a space where it's like, you're going to slow down a little bit. You're definitely not going to do any work there, not in the way that you would do work yeah. in a Starbucks. You know what I mean? Like, it's just yeah. not built for that. Well, we and don't work. But it's yeah. a different kind of work. It's a different you know type I mean? of work. Yeah. yeah. And it is that communal work, right? It is that encouragement of conversation, um, which I think is so rich because how often do we miss out on those connections because we're in our little bubble of drinking our coffee and on our computer, tap, tap, tapping away, not doing I mean, anything we're literally, <laughs> literally engaging in almost like the most stereotypical capitalistic yes. labor possible, right? And I think that that's the inspiration, one of the many inspirations we took from like watching and observing coffee, right? And this is the art of sampling, right? Like where you're paying, you got to listen closely in order to flip the sample and chop the sample. And it's like, bro, nobody's pulling up to a computer in the village with the coffee ceremony. Nobody's like, hey, y'all, I got to go send these. Everybody's stopping. They're watching these beautiful black women roast these beautiful black beans and they send their behind down and waiting. And while you wait, what happens, right? You talk, you ask, you inquire, you you bless, you pray, you laugh, you share, you cry, you sing. Um, and even the cups, right? Like the cups in Ethiopia, these really small cups called sinis or uh, finjals, depending on if you're speaking Amharic or, or Mifa. And like the tradition is you have three of those cups each time you sit down. Whereas, so that means if you're, if you're getting coffee, what up, Jordy? 
Uh, Wifey just slid through. Uh, we've been talking about you. Thank you. And she probably boo. Ooh, wee. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, the tradition is like, man, as you uh, as you're drinking this coffee, you have three rounds. So it's Arbol, Tona, and then Betacots. And those are the names of the three rounds. And you're doing those three rounds uh, every time you have coffee. And this is a little cup. You wake up, you try, normally first thing people want is like, let me get a Venti, Carmel, whatever. And you're trying to keep mm-hmm. it pushing. And it's like, nah, if you want to get caffeinated, you got to stick around, right? Yeah. And we're going to go through this process together. And then they do that three times a day, right? But breakfast, lunch, and dinner, essentially... So that's nine small cups in order to get fully caffeinated. Whereas we just do one really, really big one, which is like the most American thing that's super gold coffee, right? Um, uh-huh. Super size, my coffee is wild. But like, I'm like, yo, how can we take from that? I'm probably not going to convince people to do these small cups with me every time. But what can I do to create those those touch points for the interaction? And um, a lot of that is the, the way we planned out and designed the space. I did not know that it was three of those small cups three times a day. I knew the three cups, but I didn't know three times a day. And that just made me think like that is a different orientation to how you Mm -hmm. show up in the world, how you connect with other people and what's important to you. Mm. That is just a different structuring of your life. Yeah, you it it really is almost like a total reimagination of what is possible. And so that's why for us, when we do, uh, like we did this piece behind me, which is uh, called Coffee Black to the Future. Um, And like when we created it, a big part of it was uh, imagining the future of coffee for black people. And so you see the clothes, like this guy's where it is like kind of tall tee, baggy jeans, very like Memphis joking energy. <laughs> but it's like this return. They're they're engaging in this coffee ceremony together. It's like four or five people there. And it's like, man, for me, like I there's a lot of conversation about AI and what does the future look like. And I'm like, the best possible future for AI is that it allows us to slow down again. Mm-hmm. That it gives us space to return to a lot of the traditional rituals and practices that capitalism has kind of made impossible. And I'm aware of the reality that, like, with the way that how, what it takes to, to survive in America, many people can't participate in those three cups. And that's one of the reasons why we always have drip available for people. And we have, like, cold brews available or gold brews, excuse me, uh, available for folks. But, like, we really want to create this, like, yeah, you can do that, but you're kind of missing out. Mm-hmm. Like, there's, like, a, I want you to lean in with me here and, like, be, okay, yeah, but what are y'all doing, though? Like, that's the vibe of, like, hey, man, you can you can't pull up. And I think that's the the energy that I learned there was like, man, there's something much deeper that we're missing out on. And I think that's the best argument always. It's just like, yeah, I'm not going to argue that you have to do this, but like, why wouldn't you? It's way doper to do it this way. It's cooler to do it this way. It's swaggier to do it this way. It's a vibe. You missing the vibe all the way if you don't like. And I think that creating that almost like kind of uh, gravity of curiosity kind of makes people it, it makes people want to build culture again. And I think it, it makes people want to say like, okay, yeah, like this just feel way different than Starbucks. Like, yeah, I might go to Starbucks to get my work done, but when my work is done, like I want that experience. And we've had people, like they'll come in and throw their headphones on. And I, I see them like, oh, what they talking about over there? It's kind of crazy. I didn't laugh. What's it like? You kind of like, I, I'm going to stop for a little bit and just like engage. <laughs> and that's, that's the dopest thing to me. You know what I mean? Um, and I think, again, this is something that we found is really dope for Black people. And we found that a lot of people who aren't Black were like, yo, I miss that too. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, And that's been the craziest thing is like, I never thought I wanted to be a shot where somebody was being roasted. I mean, I did. But somebody was like, I never. But then I see it and I'm like, dad, I feel like there's, I'm, I'm missing an opportunity to connect to an experience that I think there's a part of our DNA that knows there's something deeper here. Like everybody always, I mean, you think about how many churches have coffee shops, right? Like mm-hmm. there's something, how many times people connect coffee and community and culture. Like I, I see so many times people say that, but that's just, we know there's something deeper. We just didn't have the vocabulary to explain it. And the knowledge and the wisdom and the vocabulary is held within these indigenous people who first discovered it and named it and identified it. And it just wasn't exported when the coffee was stolen. They, they, they took the product, but not the people who produce the product and their values associated with that product, you know? And I think we're just like, man, we're, we're doing our Memphis flip on this sample. You know what I mean? This is the, 
this is I I stay fly to the to the Ethiopian coffee. So like we flipping the sample <laughs> into something that matches the tempo of our current reality, uh, but it still holds that same essence. And I think it's a beautiful thing, fam, when that happens. Like that's a timeless experience. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you so much for giving us some of that vocabulary and knowledge so that we can start to tap in to to what we've always known inside, right? But to actually yeah. just bring it more more visible to ourselves and to those around us. Um, please let the people know where they can find you, how they can get mm-hmm. some of this good coffee uh, that you all have with Coffee Black. Yeah, tap into the subscription program is the best way to support, and it subsidizes uh, the first sip program, which is what we do to let people in the neighborhood get coffee for whatever they want to pay. You know what I mean? So tap into the subscription program online, coffeeblack.com, C-X-F-F-E-E, black, that's X like Malcolm X, you know what I mean? Uh, tap into us, you know what I mean? We on socials, uh, TikTok, Instagram, all that, YouTube, um, and we'd love to connect with you all about what's happening um definitely tap into the uh, black barista exchange program we just got a big donation from oatly they dropped 10 racks on the fam right. uh, which puts us about 80 percent of the way there for phase one to get these black baristas back to learn a lot of what we learned right this pre-colonial coffee culture um and uh yeah y'all support the fam man pull up we'd love to see you in full free if you in memphis or close you know what i mean pull up to the coffee club it's always a vibe Sometimes it's mellow. Sometimes it's hilarious. Sometimes we, you know what I mean? It's just, it, it is what it is. And I, I, we love to have y'all there. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to be with us today and can't wait to pull up to the coffee club and, and get some good coffee. Yeah, I love it, fam. Anytime y'all welcome to pull up. Thanks so much to Bartholomew Jones. He, along with his wife, Renata Henderson, are the co-founders of Coffee Black, a Black social enterprise, and they have created an all-Black supply chain of coffee straight from Ethiopia to Memphis. And you have to try their coffee. Uh, one of my favorites is their Guji Main Roast. And I mean, talk about those connections. Um, Guji from the Ethiopia region of Guji. Um, and then think about this, that name, that, you know, that, that very common Memphis um, identifier main. So we got the Gucci main and of course that nod to um, hip hop as well. So all of that, all of those cultural connections in one cup of coffee, you know, I do enjoy a good cup of coffee. That's what we're here on Let's Grab Coffee. And I do take my coffee, no, no cream, no sugar, just coffee. What an amazing conversation. I mean, honestly, I have been following Coffee Black and the journey that both Bartholomew and his wife Renata have been on since they started uh, Coffee Black. So it was such a pleasure to be able to chat with him today. And I'm so glad that you were able to be part of the conversation. This is Let's Grab Coffee on WYXR 91.7 FM. I'm here every Monday and I hope you will be as well. In case you missed any part of this conversation or maybe want to re-listen to it or share it with a friend, make sure you're subscribed to Let's Grab Coffee in podcast format. I cannot wait to be back with you again next week. But until then, I want to leave you with this reminder. Each and every day, you get to decide. Yes, you get to decide what type of day it's going to be and how you're going to show up in this world. Over time, it is those daily choices that create your life. So what type of life are you creating?